No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? <laughs> Listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to the Fear of God podcast. Welcome to week three of our look at some of your listener-voted top 10 horror films of 2019. Two weeks ago, we covered Todd Phillips's Joker that went on to earn Joaquin Phoenix a Best Actor Oscar. Last week, like some rock upside the head, we dove deep on Bong Joon-ho's six-time nominated, four-time Oscar-winning, including Best Picture and Director, Parasite. This week, we will be venturing into the Swedish countryside for a dance around the Maypole with Ari Aster's sun-drenched breakup film wrapped in a bear suit, Midsommar. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me, as you all know, is fellow co-host Reed Lackey, but he was here a minute ago, and he mentioned that he just needed to go get his meat pies out of the oven. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a mid-podcast recording snack or something. New year, new things, I guess. He'll be back, hopefully. While we raid on Reed, I did want to welcome, as promised last week, special guest and Fear of God literary correspondent, Meredith Curran. Meredith, welcome back to the show. Hello, thank you. You are very welcome. We are glad for you to be here. I don't know if you came hungry, but Reed is going to... Uh, distribute some meat pies pretty soon. So, you know, I will see. I, I, cool. I mean, I just ate a little while ago. It is, we, we've we got to remember Reed is on, you know, California time. So mm-hmm. it's like dinner time dinner proper time. for him. So it, it makes a little sense. But um, Meredith, as you know, here at the Fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. Listeners, If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions around horror and genre-themed media, books, and film. At The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for right now, what I'm going to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, and also, lest we forget, thanks to Fear of God continuity guru Steve Beckley, you can also find us on our recently refreshed Letterboxd page. So come over there for all the lists you could ever want. Read those lists. He'll tell us all about them in a few minutes. Do you know where we're not featured? Because we don't. If there's a podcast platform that we're not aware of that you're on or know about, let us know. Uh, you can do that by going to thefearofgodpodcast.com. Go to the contact page and shoot us a little contact email thing. And while you're at it, go subscribe to us on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating or glowing review. Um, as mentioned, if you're just now catching up to us this year, for some reason, the fear of God is your new home and our new home for all things foggy. 
see fellow foggers in their fear of God merch. Speaking of merch, do yourself a favor. Meredith, you have some merch. I know I that. Do. You're on there. Go click on the merch button to make a merch perch. You can find art from the fear of God on t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows. We also have the one and only Reed. Hey, buddy. You're back. And oh, my gosh, those smell delicious. In the furly, hirsty, birthday, you for birthday, birthday, meat pie. Leave the birthday, me for me some more. Easter birthday, Easter birthday, meat pie. No swingy dingy. No, no, no. I didn't know the shringy dingy was a Swedish. Chef specialty, you know. Who's the issue? Um, oh my god, that with the so, yogi yogi. Are you, yeah, this year, <laughs> okay. Hey, Swedish <laughs> chef, we actually I appreciate all the hard work you put in. Clearly, Reed had some help on these meat pies. If you don't mind, go, go. Goodness gracious, we need the Swedish chef to go get Reed back because I did, I've watched Midsommar twice, but I really don't speak a lick of Swedish, so I don't, this is going to be a really odd conversation. Reed! Uh, that's okay, hey. I don't think uh, hey, buddy. Swedish chef speaks a lick of Swedish either, so, uh, <laughs> so Now, see, the phrase Swedish chef speaks a lick of Swedish, like that, that's like a tongue twister right there. It we is. should start using that as our recording you know like our little thing we do before we record just to make sure we're loosened up and swedish ready to go chef doesn't swedish speak chef a, a doesn't speak a lick of see, english i've already failed swedish I've already swedish failed. see right sweet yes read read hi buddy. welcome welcome from the kitchen we appreciate your hard work although it sounds like the sh you may oh, have had some, I, I had some help. help yes i had help okay good well read um i did want to remind <laughs> oh my god I did want to remind everyone that you and I are in the, you know, you are my running mate for this election year. And I don't know Indeed. if you heard, Meredith, this may be news to you as well, that the New Hampshire Democratic primaries just happened. And Reed, we won. We won. We won again. We won. We wow. are, we are gaining steam. I still we didn't are even go. making it happen. Wow. It's... Well, you know, it's just, we got good representation. We got boots on the ground. Oh, I know? see. I see. Um, and Meredith, you remember as previous, previously suggested on Instagram, when we debuted Jacob's 2020 art, you are our secretary of education. You, you know, oh. so, or will be when All we right. fully get elected, Wow. you know, don't worry, Meredith, if the role intimidates you, I promise you, you already know more than our, <laughs> our oh boy, oh boy, secretary. <laughs> so yeah, we are on our way to good, good. Thank you. Thank you. We will gladly let you have it. Um, we're on our way to a big fear of God year. Speaking a fear of God this year. Hey, Reed, we did, we have informally begun and will formally in two weeks begin our new umbrella series. 2020, oh, 2020. So if exciting. listeners want the dish on that, they can go listen to the 2020, 2020 precap from a few weeks ago where we dive deep on what that series is and means, but there is something we need listeners to do and read. I'm going to let you, let you tell them. And okay. I, I did just call you read, but just as a callback, I did, you know, last week I tried to conjure a nickname for you because of your mm -hmm. list skills. Right. Yes. And mm -hmm. you know, you're about to ask for something real specific relative to list making. And so I did come up with a nickname for you. So, Oh, Okay. I am going to turn this segment over to 
lackey the listicle, my occasionally listless list-making lackey. Oh. <laughs> you want to talk about tongue twisters. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, say it again, please. I'm writing it down. Okay. Um, Reed, you are now, for this segment, lackey the listicle, my occasionally listless list-making lackey. That's it. Oh, that's a- So see, I use the proper noun lackey, proper oh, name lackey. You did and a lot the- there. Yes. Right, the very improper name, like a <laughs> version, right? You know? Yes, it's so, true. Uh, so why you don't you what? tell us? I yes. embrace it. I embrace this Lackey new moniker. That is exciting. Uh, so, I like it. Yes. Uh, so far less complicated than Nathan saying my new nickname <laughs> is you going to thefearofgodpodcast.com, clicking on the very top banner, which will take you to the 2020-2020 splash page. There you will find, at present, six surveys for the years 2000 through 2005. Listeners, if you have not already gone and cast your votes for the year 2000, this is your last chance. The survey will close after the release of this episode, so we're going to give it another day or two, and then we're going to close that down. So time is of the essence. But you still have several other years that you can go and can examine. You can vote on any of those years. We are going to be entering into an umbrella series where we count down your favorite top 10 horror films of each year, starting with 2000 and moving through the last two decades. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to cover an, a, a, like a film from the list uh, each and every episode that we count down your lists. It's going to be very exciting, but we need your participation. And let me tell you, there's, there's several lists in even just those six years where there's some clear front runners right now, but there are a lot of ties. There are some places where... Whether or not the film makes it into the top 10 may depend on your votes. So please, by all means, go. Uh, in just a couple of days, will be 2000 will be over and done with. And so make sure you go cast your votes for any year from 2000 through 2005. And we'll be announcing next week which film we are going to be covering to launch this series. Nathan, I'm extremely excited. This is, this is going to be a really, really fun time, I think. I'm already eager to, to get to some of these films. I know. Uh, man, I am really excited because I don't know exactly where it's going to fall, you know, what, what exactly the selections yeah. are going to be, but at least yeah. what's circling the top is going to be a grand old time. It's funny, too, because like the you know listeners may not remember, you can go back and check our Joker episode to hear the top 10 of 2019, but there are a couple of years where the clear, the number one is already pretty clear like it would it would take a lot of doing for the number one to be overtaken, but there's lots of those lists where like ranks three four and five are still to be determined so um yeah it's gonna be really uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see how it plays out but before we get to all of that this is the segment uh that i would normally pitch and uh ask you you know what you watching what you reading (laughs) what you listening to but i'm uh not gonna do that this week because you've waited so long to do that you know yes you just used it yes you know and you know I'm proud. I'm proud. That's I'm, listeners aren't be. listeners. Listeners are saying I should be ashamed of myself. But you know, I mean, who cares at this point? So, um, <laughs> but uh, instead, I want to. Uh, you know, it's been a while since uh, Meredith has joined us. Last time was for Young Frankenstein. So, uh, Meredith, as our resident literary correspondent and apparently secretary of education, that was news mm-hmm. to me. But you know, I mean, who me knows? Too. Who knows what the running mate knows these days? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's all about keep up. All about the keep leader. up, running mate. <laughs> Keep, keep running. <laughs> so, um, but now, in and and in Meredith's defense, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Reed. In Meredith's defense, so we have attempted. So listeners don't think like, where's Meredith been? We tried a couple times, and then she went and got pregnant with her third kid, which is, I mean, it's mm-hmm. awesome, mm-hmm. you know. 
as we observe it, that you can sort of speak to that. But, um, you know, it is great to finally have you back on. Um, hopefully it will be sooner than later that it happens again. But regardless, welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. She's um, taking her rehearsal for the Secretary of Education very seriously. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Intensely. Damn. <laughs> so, no, seriously, um, we want to give you a few minutes uh, in, in lieu of a standard watch and read and listening segment to just share a little bit about what you've been reading particularly, but uh, also include whatever you want to about what you've been watching and catching up with. Just uh, have the floor for a few minutes and let us know what you've been up to. Okay. Well... Um, for those you all out there following the What You're Reading Wednesday post, you know that I'm currently dabbling in graphic novels. Mm. Um, other than that, I'm just putting together my summer to-be-read list that's growing. But right now I'm reading Lock and Key, and I just finished the first volume today. Ooh, that's it's taken a me a series. while, and that's actually what I'm watching also. <laughs> Oh, now, so you have started the show? Oh, yeah. We finished the season. Oh, wow. 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 All right. So how did you... Yeah. So I have not had the, the opportunity at this moment. It, re- it released a little bit ago um, as of this recording, but I have not had the opportunity yet. Are, are you... Uh, stay as spoiler-free as you possibly mm-hmm. can, but ha- like, are you happy with the adaptation? Did you, did you like what Netflix did with it? I'm very curious. I really liked it. Um, awesome. Awesome. It, some people who are really into the graphic novel, I've heard some mixed reviews. Okay. But since I actually watched it before I read it, I feel like I connected to the that adaptation more than I did the graphic novel. So Interesting. So, I don't know. I really liked it. My husband and I, we one Sunday morning, we said, let's just watch one episode. And, um, <laughs> like... 6 p.m. we looked up and we're like, wait, how did wow. this happen? <laughs> wow, that's awesome. We've that's finished. exciting. Yeah, so that's exciting. Great. I thought it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. I believe, I'm hoping that I will have a comparable experience because I have read all of the Lock and Key series, but it has been at least a few years since I've read it. Okay. Um, yeah. So so I have not revisited it in light of the recent adaptation and and. I'm considering that I'm I'm probably going to leave it that way and just go into the adaptation with only a loose memory of what the graphic the major beats of the graphic novel and just sort of let the adaptation be what it is. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go into it. It's very different. Okay. The vibe is very different. Um, oh, okay. Which cool. I appreciate because the graphic novel is, you know, they can get really graphic. Uh, yeah, it's pretty dark <laughs> in places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really dark and um the Netflix version was dark, but a little more family friendly. Okay. Huh. Cool. Ish friendly. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's cool. Well, very Any, cool. Uh, anything? Anything else, or is that pretty much the? That's pretty much what you've been indulging in. For fun, that's the my fun reading. Nice. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that's awesome. I have some other things that I've been reading that's not so fun, but <laughs> that's school year reading. I understand. Yeah, I've been trying to, uh, listeners found out last week, I've been trying to kind of make my way through some Stephen King material that it's been a while since mm-hmm. I've read and some of his new stuff. So you're reading his son. I'm reading Stephen King. So, yeah, it's, it's all kind of, uh, that seems to be the tone of the year, I would mm-hmm. imagine. So. You know what? I think I talked about Joe Hill last time. So yeah, Nosferatu. Read... 
Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I read more than him. I promise. <laughs> so the li- the license plate book. That's the license. Yeah, plate the license book. plate book. <laughs> yep, yep. Which also has an adaptation. On that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, that has been a special uh, literary correspondent edition of. Goodness oh, be be prepared. This is not the last time he'll be making an appearance. So I should hope just, not. Yeah. So just, I mean, just given the nature of this film. Yeah. So just because that's the, that's, I I know what you're focused on when we're going into this conversation. I'm focused on the Swedish Mm. element of, of it, you know, like we found out last week, you know, what, what's important to you about Midsommar. So, uh, well, I wouldn't say important. It seems important (laughs) to Ari Aster. (laughs) He certainly enjoy. I just enjoy a good movie if it, you know. (laughs) <laughs> it ain't it ain't gotta have a bunch of jangly tooth naked people like running around like, like I'm just saying that's a that's a direct right, trademark. So, so yes, yes. Let's shall we? I mean, should we wander into the, the field? Oh the open field and just By all means. You know, let's do it. So mm-hmm. you know, we we have uh, on our Joker episode, we outlined the top ten listener voted uh, best horror films of 2019 or favorite horror films of 2019 uh, on that list towards the top. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but third or fourth, I believe. I think third, um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, was Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary, and that is Midsommar. Um, so I'm kind of curious to hear, before we formally get to any sort of trivial bits, I wanted to throw out a... <laughs> it's an unfortunate... <laughs> segment given this movie mm, um mm-hmm. uh you know I, I was sharing this with meredith before we started recording that sort of in summary i think i really appreciate a lot about this film it's uh, Reed. i even texted you like it's 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 an insane film but i can't help but just respect the artistry at work yeah. and i've learned honestly through our conversation with hereditary and going through that to just and i i did this when i first saw her uh midsommar in the theater i just knew i'm like okay i'm gonna watch this once and i'll probably not really know what to do with it and <laughs> then eventually i'll watch it again because i'll reserve judgment because i just i don't know I, I i through listening to interviews with ari aster um i find him a really interesting guy and he's real thoughtful and smart and yeah you know even just the film craft in both of these uh both of his films so far is is excellent and so i I still kind of come away we and for the record so that listeners know uh the three of us are i think meredith you saw at least the theatrical cut as well but we are Mm -hmm. pulling directly from the director's cut which unfortunately is only available uh as an itunes extra via apple um so a little annoying that you have to get it that way but that we we did all watch that in prep for this conversation yes that said the long-winded way of saying for me I'm still kind of like, ah, I don't know what to make of this, but <laughs> it's just, it's just fascinating to watch. Um, and I'm just kind of curious to see kind of where all of us land in terms of what we pull out of it. So sure. Um, sure. Round table, Meredith, you're our guest. Uh, what, what would your sort of summary thoughts be as having watched the theatrical and now the director's cut, just sort of a, a, a thought or two on your response. Hmm. Uh, the- Let's see the director's cut. Well, first of all, I'll uh, admit that when I went to rewatch it, I accidentally just watched the theatrical version again. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, 
oh, okay, well, what's different? So I went back today and rewatched the director's cut. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you are she is more informed. She's seen it three so, times. Yes. I am like, you drank that mushroom tea. Can, oh, <laughs> I've got so much going on um, up in the brain. Um, but I really like the director's cut. I feel like they gave us more Christian, which yeah. made mm-hmm. us hate him even more. Uh, yeah. They gave us more, what's his name? Mark, who I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Will Poulter, yeah. Yeah, and... um. And those extra scenes, I feel like it added a lot to it. Reed, what about your um, take on the director's cut? It doesn't have to be positioning it against the theatrical, just curious. No, of course, of course. Thoughts? Um, so, I'll, I'll, so I'll answer both questions. I, first of all, I, I do love the director's cut. I, th- I think if you're... One of the things for me is that it's like, I, if, if, if you are a fan of this film, if you enjoy this film, if you at all remotely see yourself revisiting this film more than once... I think it is worth it to purchase the film through iTunes so that you can see the director's cut. There's some really interesting things in the director's cut. I think if I mm-hmm. were to make a pitch to someone to see the film, I would not necessarily feel that the director's cut was essential viewing. I think the fundamentals of what you get from the film are still very present in the theatrical cut, but I feel like the director's cut does flesh out the characters a bit more. It provides us more context for some of the uh, the nuances of the relationships. And um, there were some things that, of course, I saw the director's cut second, uh, as as we all did. So there were some moments that I remembered from the theatrical cut, but I felt like were better propped up in the director's cut. I'm like, oh, th- I feel like this dynamic is better established. I'm thinking specifically of mm-hmm. the toxicity in Danny and Christian's relationship, um, the, mm-hmm. the tension of the... Uh, dual theses of Josh and Christian. Um, yeah, there's yeah. there's there's some interesting things that I feel like are a- apparent in the theatrical cut, but they are better substantiated in the director's cut. So I don't I wouldn't consider the director's cut to be essential viewing, but it is definitely if you're a fan of this film, it is worth the the coinage to to pick it up and to check it out. So uh, yeah, I was I was well, a very big fan. It's funny you mentioned that the way you did because. Um, random aside here, it reminds me of listening to the commentary or the back behind the scenes for Fellowship of the Ring uh, when they talked about how to narrow that story into the film, mm, and that mm. for the, the for the theatrical cut at least they chose to focus explicitly on the journey of Frodo, and that meant you know you can automatically cut some stuff out. Well, it feels like for the theatrical cut, he almost leaned away from um. I'm going to say this word and it's going to sound like a slight. I don't mean it. He almost leaned away from clarity and leaned into haziness. Mm, like, mm, um, okay. because I remember when I first saw the film and then listening to, uh, I'll reference this a number of times, but, um, the big picture podcast had an interview with Aster on July 3rd of last year. And I remember listening to that after seeing the film and him calling it a breakup movie. And I was like, huh, is that what I watched? Not because I was, questioning what he was saying but just i was still so kind of like i don't know exactly what i've just watched um and to hear him so explicitly categorize it such uh that way so that when i saw the director's cut if y'all remember specifically like smack in the middle there's that big nighttime fight scene Mm -hmm. between danny and christian and i was like oh this really maybe i'm just kind of dumb sometimes when i'm watching this stuff but that 
helped me see like, okay, yeah, this is clearly what this is about as opposed to right. the initial viewing theatrical cut, which is more like, I don't know exactly where this is landing and more just kind of hazy Same. mushroom mm-hmm. induced drug state in <laughs> out the Swedish countryside. So, so now right. I do, I would, I would agree with you, Reed. I think that's a good assessment that if listeners favor the film that they saw in the theater at all of Midsommar and want to enjoy it like the director's cut is a really great supplement and worth right uh, right worth the investment let's jump into some trivial bits because i was doing some reading today and what one thing we just referenced about the the cuts is an easy segue here so i don't know if y'all caught this or read this anywhere but the first cut of the film was three hours and 45 minutes yes i heard that yeah yeah Yeah. that's crazy Mm -hmm. i mean it's i for as wackadoo as this movie is, kind of like my experience or my my thoughts listening to the fact that there was going to be a director's cut, I would kind of dig watching that. Like it's just such an interesting world he creates, and it's very carefully curated uh, mm-hmm. from an artistic mm-hmm. level. Um, that you know, I mean, that's a hell of a long time, but uh, I'm not turned off by that idea. It would it would be kind of an interesting right. take to see that version. I think that's I think that's a fair point because I remember when I pulled up the director's cut because the original the theatrical cuts like two hours and twenty five minutes the director's cut adds yeah. about another you know twenty three to twenty five minutes to that but I remember I remember when I pulled it up and and I was thinking in my head I must have read this earlier I remember thinking in my head oh this is only just shy of three hours because somewhere that three hour and forty five minute thing had gotten lodged into my memory gotcha. banks and so I was like oh this is much Brief. I mean, it's still longer than the theatrical cut, but this is much briefer than I was expecting it to be. I was actually kind of buckled for, oh, this is going to be a nearly four-hour experience, um, you know, which unlike The Irishman, uh, which, you know, ha- <laughs> has has its merits, but also, uh, you know, strains the attention span a bit at times. Um, this is a very, uh, it's so fully realized, which is a similar thing that you could say about Hereditary, but it is so, th- this place is so completely fleshed out in Ari Aster's imagination that it it is fascinating, and I think I would be down. I, I can't say definitively, uh, sure. but I think I would be down for nearly four hours of this film. It's so captivating. The whole thing is so enthralling to me. I, I have heard some people complain about like its pacing, particularly in the first hour and a half of it, but for me, I am just absorbed by what I'm seeing. This is such a fascinating little microcosm that they've stepped into. And, and even I I was even more galvanized this time around by knowing where the film was heading, because you Mm -hmm. can pick up on more of the subtle clues that they give to those ends. Like some of the, like I had no idea what in the world's that bear doing there. But then, you know, when they walk by it this time, I'm like, Oh yep, it's a bear. (laughs) <laughs> and I know, <laughs> I know what that means. So, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it, I, I, I do really appreciate this film, but even more so than that, two films in, I think Ari Aster has definitely proven that when his imagination is sort of allowed to run wild, he can craft a really absorbed reality, something that just invites you in and uh, that is really hard to turn away from, even as you're watching admittedly horrific things. Sure. Meredith, did you have any... um? specific kind of trivial notes or, or non content specific uh, thoughts. 
Well, I was just thinking about the pacing also earlier today. I, I loved the slowness of it or how one moment can feel like it's lasting forever. Mm. And it's like the whole thing was just like a slow build to an anxiety attack. <laughs> it's, uh-huh, like, sure. yeah. it's like a slow build to it, um, which kept my attention like the whole time. So I really so, loved the pacing of it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I One quote from Aster from that interview, and then we can move into other like maybe actual trivia uh, involving the story or whatever. But he said, I see this as a fairy tale adjacent to horror. He said, I'm a Mm. big fan of melodrama where you take the film and make it as big as what the characters are feeling, which is a really interesting idea that makes a lot of sense. He says, this is a big operatic breakup movie. It's got a folk horror framework, and that felt like the perfect structure for what I wanted to do, which was in line with a dark comedy, which is just crazy, right? Like you, this, This is what kind of threw me after my first viewing because this, the first 10 minutes of this film maybe the first seven or so are wrenching. I mean, it is. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and I don't know that maybe I was savvy enough in the moment. Cause I just, I know hereditary has very little like explicit comedy to it. It's, it's pretty dreadful. Right. Um, and right. so I'm thinking in that wavelength, but it's that first seven minutes when uh, Danny Florence Pugh's character, um, speaking of Oscars who just got nominated for one herself, ah, yes. um, learns of the passing, the, the rather awful, d- terrible passing of her sister and both her parents all in one incident. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so dialed up that it does kind of like make sense in this terrible comedy kind of way. You know what I mean? Like it's not right, funny right. at all, but it's so big. It's so over the top that you could be like, okay, it kind of makes sense that we're we're pushing a giant boulder down a down into a canyon, right? Like it's not rolling down a hill. You're just right. car- careening down to the bottom, um, and then like the people on the mountainside. <laughs> um, uh, for anyone who's not going to watch this film, um, and it's it it could be argued a, a word for this film is extreme. I, I don't know that I would necessarily say. Uh, definitively, everyone should watch this. But kind of in brief summary, the story is uh, Danny, this Florence Pugh's character, as I just mentioned, suffers this pretty terrible tragedy at the top of the film, um, is already plugged into what is a year-gone toxic relationship with this character Christian that's been referenced. So they've been dating a year, probably you know six months longer than they should be. Yeah. But now, because of this tragedy, get locked in. And so the film then takes this turn where the two of them with several other uh, graduate student buddies go to Sweden on this little journey that if you've seen the wicker man, there's uh, significant echoes of that though, you know, story-wise isn't exactly beat for beat, but just that kind of idea. You go to this countryside and meet all these people who on the surface have very innocent aspects to them. But (laughs) as the film rolls on, you learn, this is pretty rough. Going. Maybe something, not. Something terrible mm-hmm. going on here. Um, so let's just kind of dive in. General, Reed, do you have any other sort of specific trivial bits before you so leave there? What's fascinating 
about this film is that I mean there there are some interesting things to to say about the film from a trivia perspective, but most of them just tie into things that I just appreciated about the film. So maybe they'll come up as we progress. Um, there wasn't anything that was just like particularly exclusive to trivia. Most of it is just in and surrounding certain beats or moments. They might come up as we well, progress. Well, let me ask you all this. So, and this can maybe pivot us into kind of general likes, dislikes of the film, but something that's really deft about this script, I think is so much of the Danny Christian stuff is in the foreground of your kind of connection to the film that there's so much background stuff I don't, and literally actually on screen background stuff, but also uh, story wise. So um, as a juxtaposing these two films, hereditary, the film kind of pivots on suddenly learning uh, you're dealing with this demon cult or, you know, devil cult in hereditary. Right. And that changes the film. That's right, a major right. sort of, tone or changes your perceptions of the film something subtle but similar is happening in midsummer and i did not pick up on it until this second viewing do y'all you you're both smart people and so you probably did but i even posed the question as i was watching it and then through reading it was answered for me do you get that pele their friend orchestrated the whole thing oh yeah Oh yeah, I they're, mm-hmm. they're they're coming to there. Yes, and uh, and that was, I'm sorry, I'll, uh, I'm I'm going to pivot over to Meredith in a second, but no, I uh, I actually got that from the first viewing, but it didn't become apparent to me until that final scene where they applaud him and he's crowned with like, sure. you know, leaves and 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 brush and stuff like that. It was not apparent to me until then, but I remember even in the first viewing being like, dang, this was all a manipulation like from right. the, the beginning. And uh, that was, I remember that being pretty shocking to me in terms of a revelation. Yeah. Um, I caught it the second time around. I feel like the first time around, I was just still like, what? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I read a theory today that he, you know, maybe he even was responsible for the death of her parents and sister. What? To, yeah. To, he set it all up to get the ball rolling to get her on the trip um wow and well yeah interesting that who knows i I don't know but i did see in the spirit of that this what's so fascinating about this film is so little of it is explicit right i mean you you get you get exposition for kind of the mores and and rituals and liturgies if you will of this community but even then, there's a lot of just supposition on your part as the viewer, like, okay, um, I guess I understand what's happening here. But specifically things like, so uh, Josh, who is the other thesis student, when he goes to, uh, when he sneaks away to take pictures of the sacred text, according to the director, it's Pele who jumps him from behind. Mm-hmm. really oh yes. that's crazy wow wow and on top of that i didn't pick up on this the i think it's the gentleman who is so upset about the tree which is hysterical oh yeah that's yeah. what i read yeah Oof. he's yeah. the masked one he's who's wearing will's face when he comes to josh 
Wow. I, I mean, just stuff like that that it's like. Now, I this did. Is, yeah. Oh, so I, I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. I did read just no, in, you're fine. in light of trivia bits. I did read along the way that. So when Mark has urinated on the, the sacred tree and Ulf is the, the man who's so upset, yeah, so yeah. disturbed by it, I did read in trivial bits where Mark makes a passing comment there where he says, is he going to kill me for that? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and although it happens off screen, that is what happens. Now, not necessarily yeah. for him urinating on him, he probably would have died anyway, but Ulf is the one that kills him and uh, we, we discover. Well, you don't pee on the tree, Reed. Don't don't pee on no, the tree. No, don't pee on the I mean, ancestor tree. This yes, that's th- ancestor to to tree, yes. to the point of the inherent comedy, uh, you know, hiding in plain plain sight in this otherwise just just insane horror show. That seems hysterical. I mean, the way <laughs> I, I don't I don't even mean that lightly. Like it's actually staged, and Ulf's response is so over the top it's just right. you can't right. help but be like gosh this is so wild you know so right. I, I actually yeah. really enjoyed that um let's let's dive kind of directly into just likes dislikes you know we're, we're sort of circling that um i will say um <laughs> the back and forth of danny and christian at the top of the film uh post her family's passing um conjured for me just that the notion of being so grateful to God that I don't have to engage in the dating scene. Like <laughs> that right, right. sounds and looks terrible. The back and forth with them mm, and yeah. with the, with the guys talking to to Christian at the, the pub or whatever it is like, Oh, it's awful. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's awful. Those, All the passive aggressive. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, don't get me so wrong. Like, marriage can be challenging sometimes, but I wouldn't trade my challenging stuff for that. <laughs> no oh no 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 that is and and it only further solidifies like i don't blame in those moments those guys because they're just ridiculous sure. friends you know like I, I i don't i don't blame them for having their own whatever opinions about his relationship but let me tell you man like at the top of my dislikes though i i love the ways in which the film uses him at the top of my dislikes is christian christian is the worst he is the unqualified worst of the worst a terrible human being deserves everything that came to him it is awful he is an awful awful person i mean uh, there's no yeah there's nothing about (laughs) his character there's nothing about his character that i appreciate him no i i am (laughs) not a fan uh no i mean like it's in that in that moment you know, like, I think the first thing that pinged me this time around with him is, I mean, th- I get frustrated because we as the audience can see what Danny is going through as a character. And yes, it would be a painful thing to have like a breakup or something or have a breakup conversation with all that she is going through. Um, I can understand a little bit of tension in that regard but i mean like then like when she finds out that they're all going to sweden and he's like i'm probably i'm probably not gonna go i'm probably not gonna go you know and i'm and you know at that moment like dude your ticket is is already paid for like what are you what are you doing why are you sitting there being so blatantly deceptive and then on top of that i think one of the most heinous things he does in the movie though it ultimately winds up ironically being beneficial to her is invites her to come along like that's one of the the most heinous things i can't grasp the level of like 
I'm just going to keep stringing you along. So I'm going to invite you along on this impossible thing that I don't want you to come with me. And I want this relationship to be over, but I just don't see a way to be honest. So I'm just going to keep on stringing it along. And I'm just like, you're the worst. You're, you're an awful human being. <laughs> <laughs> He's terrible. Well, He's terrible. and it, it, I do love the scripting in some of those scenes because because you just feel it. Gosh, the weight yeah, yeah. of, uh, you know, their back and forth. And um, I'm jumping way ahead in the film. But to your point, read about you didn't explicitly state this, but what I interpreted from what you're saying is about just the character motivations and things like that. Do you all remember about two thirds of the way through the film? There's a scene creepy stuff has started to happen in the periphery of the group, but none of the main players have been taken out yet. There's oh, okay. a, a shot of Christian, Danny, Mark and Josh all sitting at the table. And there's just this terrible, heavy awkwardness between all of them. This is, I think after Josh and Christian have fought over the thesis, this is while Mark is thinking about the girl he's interested in and is just yeah. peed on the tree. Uh, this is after um, Danny is uh, aware of some, oh, she's concerned. This is it. This is after Simon has left, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. I was just so impressed. It's a silent scene. Like they aren't talking to each other, but there's so much happening just visually in their body language and in their temperaments. And and I, I'll say this, like Ari Aster hasn't so far told a story that I'm super emotionally attached to. In other words, like, you know, oh man, you've got to see this film because it's so powerful. But from a pure film craft standpoint, this, this movie's crazy amazing. Like some oh, of the is. shots, yeah. I mean, just the, and I think part of it is, I don't know if y'all know this from your reading, but they had an extremely tight timetable for the film. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And in, and in fact, they, he storyboarded, he had to storyboard before Hereditary came out so that he could do press for Hereditary. Well, then he finishes press and they go to shoot. It was actually actually shot in Hungary um, and not in Sweden just because of costs. But they had to clear that field. So that field was like, you know, chest high grass. Mm. They had to clear that field. They had to build the commune and they had like, I don't know, I think it was 40 shooting days. Oh my! And gosh. on top of that the days are actually shorter. So he made a, in this interview I referenced earlier, he makes a comment how hereditary had a shorter daily shooting schedule. In other words, like the amount of days they had was less, but they had more hours in the day because it was all interior stuff primarily or night stuff. Whereas with Midsommar, 90% of what happens on screen is during the day. And even then they only had so much they could work with before the sun started setting or before it was fully up anyway. So given all of the constraints that they were working against, some of these shots are just breathtaking um, Mm -hmm. at what they pull off anyway. No, I totally, yeah, I totally agree. Um, Meredith, what's some, what's some stuff that you appreciated about the film or didn't like? Um, I, I was going to talk about the shots also when I first read about it, like the first time I watched it, I immediately went to the old Google machine because I was like, what is happening? <laughs> so, so, and all I could get really was that it was a breakup movie. <laughs> that was right. it. But I was like, but what about all, every single step was intentional. Like mm. there wasn't just a, a basic C 
scene, like the when they were driving and it was upside down, or oh man, you know, all of the awesome. aerial shots, all of that. So I really like that it seems so intentional. Mm-hmm. It just well, made me want to know more. Yeah, you're you're kind of making the point I was crudely and uh, you know unable to make earlier, I think, but it's. Yes, after watching it the first time and seeing Breakup Movie, is that what I just watched? Because right. there's so yeah. much to it. But it does make sense in the context of at least the way Aster puts it. Um, a, a movie where visually you're capturing the the height of the emotions the characters are actually feeling. And yeah. this big operatic sort of melodrama. And so if you watch it with that in mind, it's hard to do especially because the movie's so long, but from a metaphorical standpoint, like the journey of their relationship and its disillusion, it's, it's really fascinating. But, but again, I, I'm with you. It's, it's a lot yeah. of work for just a breakup movie. <laughs> right. A lot. And it, and then I realized, okay, so there's, it's more than just ba- breakup. There's for me, the central theme was codependency. Mm, sure. Like, yeah just from Danny's codependency, but also going into this community where they do everything together from sitting down to eat, to breathing, to to doing it, doing it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, They even, they even assist where needed, I guess, you know, Meredith, I I promise one of these times you're going to be on the fear of God where you don't have to talk about something uncomfortable. And oh, Reed, like you forget that Meredith and I have known each other for 15 mm, years, and this well, our our family's humor is yeah, you know, I I don't I don't forget that, but I like I'm I'm part of the conversation as well, and so there's uh, you know. So last sorry, time Reed. Had, we'll keep it G for you. We brother. had the, wow. We had the Ash versus Evil Dead episode last time, and then uh, yeah. this this time around. Oh, uh, that's true. G- good that's old, true. Good old. I see the Mid-Somar. point you're making now. Oh yes. yeah. Nathan yeah. knows yes. that I'm a 12 year old boy at heart. There really is nothing off limits. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Uh, yes, um, you are right, Reed. I'm it's sorry. Fine. I thought, it's fine. It's fine. Making fun of me for my off-color humor. Instead, you were commenting on the nature of what we're watching. Yes. It, no, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, uh, Meredith. Um, what else you got, Reed? So, on the likes, um, dislikes list. I do. I want to comment about the absolutely pitch-perfect, wonderful, fantastic score that um, the first time around was, I feel like, so masterful, you almost don't particularly pay attention to it, except maybe in passing, but during the the watching of the director's cut... I was so captivated and it stood out to me a bit more of just how many how many times the score accents what's going on and it, it's it's a very deliberate type of score it's not intended to be a lot of movie scores can be sort of just subtle strings to accent the mood of what's going on but this is definitely an overt sort of um cultural uh, I think the oh gosh I had this written down and then uh, I don't have it in front of me but the the composer has a very particular name like they have a hex, a, hex and cloak yes hex and cloak mm-hmm. um, I don't even know how to spell it but I just yeah listened to it today. Yeah. and so that's something that I th- I feel like I don't know he the we keep talking about the ways that the the film's craft like the uh the way the shots are set up the way the village is constructed um every every piece of this 
is feels so intentional, which is something we've we've all said to one degree or another. But um, this time around, I was really impressed with the musical soundtrack, the way in which it sort of like uh, there's an undercurrent of this whole cultural shift. You are in another world. You're in another place. Yeah. This this does not feel like yes, okay, technically this Swedish commune. It's not Sweden. This is a place unto itself. It might as well be an island. Like, it's completely and totally cut off from everything external, which is completely captivating. And every piece of this film points to that end um, in a very, very, very impressive way. Well, an interesting, to that point, Reed, um, to back up what you're saying, so he um, he had written Midsommar's script four years prior and listened to that artist during the script writing process. And so then invited him to score it and did the exact same thing, but with a different artist for hereditary the person he wrote the script to is who he ended up asking to, you know, kind of score the film to score the movie. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I I made a list of all of the terrible things Christian does. So (laughs) I'm going to be brief because I've already gone. I'm excited about it. So so you are a list maker. You are. I, I, you know, I've, I've ranked them. So lackey, lackey, the listicle, the uh, occasionally listless list making lackey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so number number five on my list is what I already mentioned earlier, where she was, where he's like, uh, I'm probably not going to go, but you know, we we talked about it. We talked like talking about going to to Sweden. That's 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 terrible. So number four on my list is his passive aggressive way. He kind of coerces her into taking the drugs. Like just that silent mm-hmm. little sort of, cause th- that silent little sort of like, okay, well guys, I'm going to wait back, you know, like I'm going to hang back, but you can feel in that scene mm, it's that rough. it's, that it's really about pulling her into it. And that's, and, and, and to be candid, that's a really masterful scene, both script wise, acting wise on everybody, because it is almost all subtext. Like the text yes. of it is. Hey, I'm going to be in solidarity to my girlfriend and you guys do whatever you want, but you can feel it in the entire tone of it that he is being passive aggressive and pulling her into something she actively has expressed that she does not want to do. And uh, so that's that was number four on my list. Number three on my list is, man, he's sitting there fighting with Josh about like... He knows Josh was going to do that thesis. It was ridiculous. Like he's sitting there trying to steal <laughs> steal that man's thesis statement. And then when the time came and and Josh has disappeared, he serves Josh up like so much like fast food chicken, man. Like he's got whiplash. He you know chucked him under the bus so fast. It was it it's awful. Um, number two on my list is when he pretended that inviting Danny to Sweden was a surprise. He meant all along that, yeah that was that's, that's re- bad that's that awful bad. that's that awful bad. but man my number one awful thing like this fool forgot her birthday and that's mm-hmm. bad enough at least he could have owned up and been like hey i forgot your birthday but what is that bland flavorless little pound cake he tries to sneak her <laughs> off and be like where did he get it i know what is that's that? a great what question is it you know like it's this dumb little thing it's where do you get, pro- where do you get it's the, the it's the proto meat pie. Well, yeah. Where, where'd he get the candle? Like, they don't have a Walmart there. Like, where'd he get the candle to stick in there and be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to put this Do little... you think they have just like a little commissary? You know, just a little little, general store outside of the Horga? It's a general store. You know? Oh, my gosh. That's it. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Now, you know, now, I, now, 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 listen, you, you know, I you have a plate and a slice of cake. 
<laughs> and a candle. You, please, just, just please, one please. candle. Only one. I only need one. <laughs> well, what's funny is it's not. It's it's like a slice of cake. It's not right. cake. Like no. there's more of that cake somewhere on that property. No, like who? It's like who did he get bread. it from? I mean, like where God. did he get it? But you know, listen. Lackey the listicle, you have enumerated for us all of Christian's worst offenses in the film. He's the worst. He almost worst. makes up for all of it. The actor Jack Rayner in the performance win. <laughs> oh, no. In possibly the least sexy sex scene ever, you know? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the moment when that, when, when he and Maya are doing their thing and that middle aged woman crouches down and starts singing the uh -oh. look on Jack Rayner's face with drug addled Christian. It is hysterical. Like I laughed out. That man is on another planet yeah. in that like, moment. I don't know what's he happening. Is, I don't know. He is having an out of body experience and it is hysterical. Well, you know, to go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, to your point, the scene, I didn't even have this written down, but it brought to mind, like when he's sitting at the dinner table and he's and he's just talking to somebody. He's I forget what he asks. He's just like, "What's happening to me?" or whatever. And the guy yeah. like claps yeah. in his what is face. Happening? Yeah. yeah. And when he claps in his face, like the world just all goes fuzzy. But the look like, on his whoa. face, he's like, "Why did you do that?" Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> some of his yeah, some of his physicality in that last forty minute stretch is hysterical. And in, you know, giving Jack Rayner some due here, I actually did find a trivial bit here where originally in the script when he flees the cabin after his encounter with Maya and all the, all the ladies, um, <laughs> initially in the script, he was in the robe, but oh. Jack Rayner suggested that he be completely nude. And in fact, um, it says Rayner was inspired by having recently watched the last house on the left, which I haven't seen, but yeah. like many films in the horror genre, female characters disrobed, humiliated, assaulted before the demise. He felt it was a due time that male characters be made to suffer similar indignation. So that's why he's butt naked running through the field, which honestly, I do love that choice. Like, I feel yeah. like, you know, as uncomfortable as that scene is and boy, Ari Aster loves to just like populate his films with uncomfortably naked people but like his like as uncomfortable as that as that is i re I, I came across that same bit of trivia and really admired it i was like no yeah, that, that's yeah. that's such a strong choice for this film and works so well cohesively with everything that that i feel like the film is kind of after um but yeah i, I really admired that choice um uncomfortable as it is um, I want to throw one more like on the pile before we move into scares um, or before I end and we possibly move into scares. Uh, Reed, I mean, I don't. did your wife watch this movie? No, 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 no. Okay, she saw, well, she saw two did you catch the, 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 the over the credit song? Did you catch this? Oh my gosh, I should have. At the, at the end credits? It's When You're Without Love, which I don't know if she originated, but is I know as a share song. <gasps> really? Yeah. What is the song? The sun ain't gonna shine anymore. You know what's funny? Oh my gosh. I'm gonna When you're yes. without love. You know, that one. That so one. I did not and 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 I'm gonna try to lower my voice so my wife doesn't hear me admit that I did not know that that was a share song. But the I, only reason I, knew... I know it as a share song is because shout out Team Ned, it features in the X Files episode Postmodern Prometheus. 
Interesting. So I knew the version that they played. I had heard the version. Oh, okay. There's, yeah. a, there's this big, I believe, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to turn in my music fan card. If that, but I believe it was featured on a big collection of works from the legendary and, and uh, scandalized uh, producer Phil Spector. Um, I believe it was part of a big collection of that. But, but but even if that wasn't where I heard it, I remembered being familiar with that specific version. So I never even connected that Cher had covered it as well. But, no, oh, wow. that's I'm going to have to let her know. Although I, uh, I I doubt that I will convince her to sit through this movie. Yeah, I don't. For the sake yeah. of those end credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that might right, be. Right. <laughs> You're like, no, babe, listen. <laughs> Two hour, 45 minute flick. I promise you it's going to be worth it's it when be, you get to the end. Yeah. And then the, the payoff is so good. <laughs> the credits start rolling and it's, and it's, it's not even. Right, right. Cher it's not even Cher. And, and she's looking at me like, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? And I'm like, no, didn't Cher yeah. sing this song? No, 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 no. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> That's so, hysterical. Yes. Uh, speaking of, y'all feel good going into some scares? Cause I got a, I got a, I got a list staring I, at me. I'm good. Meredith, what you think? Yeah, I'm ready. Meredith, name one for us. What was something on your scares list? The one that stuck out to me the most. I, I don't know if I could call it a scare or just an extreme discomfort. Um, is the cliff jumping part. Oh, but my god! Not gosh. just that, yeah, but stupid. the lady... She bounced off that rock. Oh, yes! What? In slow-mo. That's, that's oh. hilarious. Because... Um, <laughs> Uh, that was the scene I called. Please hammer, don't hurt him. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what's amazing about it. that moment? <laughs> um, right, right, right. So, so what's so amazing about that? This is this is my point about Ari Aster's attention to detail. Like someone had to think through the fact that that body would rebound off of that rock right like uh, like yeah. it's just bouncing yeah. now in the same scene come on so lady jumps first is she the one she's the one who bounces because yeah my dude my dude next he knew the whole deal he knows what he's doing yeah. and he knew the girl before him didn't just feet first you know <laughs> like Greg Luganus down and he still <laughs> went down feet first come what on man the- he that knew better than that was the worst. Like, how stupid are you? If you are like, going, yeah, he didn't die. No, oh, and that's the thing. Like, what? if you are head going first, to head do first, this, yes, you swan dive that sucker. <laughs> like, you do not. You do you have not to commit. You may bounce, but you won't feel it. Yeah, don't cannonball. <laughs> like, you gotta, you gotta swan dive. <laughs> like this man, <laughs> and he doesn't even cannonball. He you like cannonball. does a pogo thing. Your like, butt's going through your head, <laughs> yeah, man. I'm like. Good lord! And he miss, and his aim is terrible. This poor man, like he misses that rock. I'm like, it is all gone bad for him. He got really confused about what was going on in this He's moment. Like, wait a he minute! He did not know what he had signed up for. But you know, the young people with the mallet, they were like, "This is yeah. our chance." I've been yeah. practicing for thirty years. It has finally come. Like, oh my god! Enough, enough Guys, of pounding those dead. stupid little mushrooms. Now it is the real thing. Oh. Oh my gosh. All right. Yeah. Let's save let's save scares from the last half hour until a few minutes. But yes, so Agreed. the cliff the cliff jumping is rough. Yeah. Um before we leave that yeah. I, I rarely do this. I, I watched this uh film at home. I missed it in the theater. So the first time I saw it in a theatrical cut, 
Um, I rarely do things like this where I like just sort of meta information. I did not know going into this what they meant by atastupia. So I had never, if I had heard that, I didn't remember what it was or whatever. So when they say like, oh yeah, we're going to, I am, I'm ridiculous. And then he's like, when you, you know, when, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, have an atastupia tomorrow. And, and I could tell that Josh knew what it was. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, this is a moment. So I briefly paused the movie to Google it and I was like, oh, so yeah. So it was not, I mean, it's still an alarming moment when they do all of that jumping, but I had a little bit of preparation <laughs> Rather than uh, just sort of be like, what are they? Oh my gosh. But yes, anyway, <laughs> that ain't right. Yeah. That, no. that ain't right. Um, um, that creepy shot of Danny's hose mouthed sister in the outhouse when she oh. lights the match. Mm. You remember this? Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's rough. That yeah. ain't right. No. No. That's awful. That was pretty messed up. Well, and she sees in a. So it it comes up a couple of times because she sees in the uh, in a dream sequence following the atastupia, she sees her sister with that tube thing coming out of the mouth, like in a dream sequence in front of in front of the rock. And yeah. I remember I remember how haunting it all was that she's she's seeing that regardless, but then um, like the shot lingers from a distance. It's not a close up shot, but but the shot lingers on her dreamlike vision of her sister with that tube out of her mouth sitting in front of that rock and then her sister like opens her eyes and then she wakes up it's a, it's a very alarming effect a very wait i didn't see her, that she opened her eyes yeah so like like it's it's sec it probably like 2 seconds if even that long before it cuts to danny waking up like her sister like opens her eyes and looks at her and i remember just thinking that is nightmarish <laughs> that is <laughs> horrific um yeah it, it mm. it's pretty awful um, I have, uh, you know, because I, I had the Atastupia scene on mine, but the whole sequence that we've already referenced where Josh sneaks in to read the Ruby Rotter and the, you know, uh, Ulf, oh, we later learn right. Ulf is wearing, you know, old Mark mask. Uh, that Ugh. is, that ain't right. And not much that, else. No. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, that like, ain't oof. right. Well, what's really horrific about that scene <laughs> is... Josh is looking at a shadowy figure that you could presume has a, at least enough uh, feature recognition that he thinks it's Mark. And then when it gets closer, it's like, oh, right. that is Mark's face. That is not Mark. Like, oh, my God, that is, yeah, that's, that ain't right. That ain't right. Well, something I actually find interesting about the movie, but this is what I'm talking about, the foreground, background stuff, is like we're so conditioned by movies we think like this, that when you meet Ruben, you are conditioned by history of horror film to think, oh, they, this is, I'm, un I'm uncomfortable with them making the disabled character the creepy thing. And that's not really what they do at all. I mean, no, uh -uh. it enhances, you know, kind of how the com community views Ruben is creepy as crap. But, right, right. but, he's just kind of there, you know, like he, he, there's at least that we're, that we know of, there's no malevolent intent on his part whatsoever. No, um, he is purposed. He is, he's like, he, they, they even say like he is a product of inbreeding and right. And, right. And, and then clouded. Yes. And, and that is a, almost a revered state. I mean, he, he's 
writing their sacred text. Like it's right. the the subversion going on in this film. Like I so w- w- we we don't have to get into too many specifics of the last half hour right now, but I will say it kind of more is appropriate to mention in scares. The Wicker Man, which is a film I love. Meredith, have you ever seen The Wicker Man? We discussed it on the show, but I don't know if you have you ever seen it. I haven't. Um, well, if I have, it was so long ago. I don't remember. Okay, it's a. I I think it's a remarkable film. It it's there's uh, having seen Midsommar first, uh, there are echoes of whichever film you see first in the other one. But I still That's consider. That's what I heard. I, I want to see it. Yeah, I consider Wicker Man to be a remarkable film. That you know, if you have the right palate for it, Reed I highly recommend. Does um, love the Wicker Man? <laughs> I do. I love the, the Wicker dance Man. around yeah. the maple. You know, for all the reasons that Nathan won't mention. But yes, I, <laughs> but no, I uh, I I do love that film. It's a favorite film of mine. But uh, casting that aside, Wicker Man kind of conditioned me to be very very scared for Danny specifically. So as everything is sort of climbing up, when so when Danny wins the May Queen, the first time I saw it in the theatrical cut, I am terrified for her. When huh. she wins the May Queen, I'm I'm sitting there thinking, this is going to be awful because this poor girl has been through so much and now she has been coerced into this cult dance scene. She has won this and they are going to sacrifice her on some weird sort of ritual thing. And I was, I cannot quite describe, it is a love, but articulating precisely why is a little challenging for me. I loved the way Ari Aster subverted that. Huh. No, that she yeah. that she is actually in a heralded right. position. Now, what happens to her following this, I think one can safely presume she's going to join this commune and perhaps continue to be a revered person within this commune. It could be that immediately following this, uh, all bets are off and she is... Uh, you know, doomed in in a different sense, but that's not what the film leaves. That's not the impression yeah. the film leaves us with. Well, in the fact, the film leaves us with a distinct impression that she is going to yeah. be just fine. Yeah, in fact, yeah. the the stuff so, yeah. I was reading references her now being adopted by the commune. So, and uh, like the, right. that's the right. resolution of her story, which is interesting. Um, now, yeah. to both of y'all's points, did you catch? You know, they reference Ruben and the inbreeding and use the, the, the phrasing unclouded. Well, right. I don't get the impression. I don't know that we're supposed to get the impression that Pele is the product of inbreeding, but they use that adjective for him at the end when they coronate him, when they give him his crown that you referenced read or whatever it is, they, Oh, they call him unclouded. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wondered like, is is he, is he, you know, in some sort of Oracle, sort of position as well but anyway um fascinating uh other scares there's a moment in this film like there's so much film craft that sort of screams artistry there's a i don't know if y'all caught this there's a sequence of moments who i think is connie the scream do you know what i'm talking about oh yeah that's yes. amazing yeah. Yeah. josh is in the chapel Danny, it then cuts to Danny in the bakery and then it cuts mm-hmm. to Mark outside the triangle building and each of them it's, it's, they aren't quick cuts, but it's, you know, five seconds with each character and you hear a scream in the distance, but it's never explicitly resolved and little things right, like that. Right. I'm like, that's amazing. That is such right. a, a fascinating and excellent choice uh, from a film design standpoint. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And that's, there is so much I do feel like you know it it's possible you watch this film 
you don't care for it, you never want to revisit it, fine. But if you watch this film and you're captivated, I think it so rewards a second viewing because you catch so many of these things that I think the first time through, you're just kind of navigating what's mm-hmm. like the uh, outsiders into this commune. You're kind of, what what's going on here? Like, what is it? I'm captivated, but I really don't know what the substance is. Going in, knowing what the substance is, I think it's really rewarding to see the ways in which it's all established from the get-go. Like, this is all very, very deliberate on this on this commune's part. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway. Well... I think we're officially here, y'all. I mean, to yeah. the, the the that ain't right of that ain't right. It's it's time for some hair pie. Uh-huh. Uh, oh my gosh! No swinging dingy. No, it is awful. It is oh awful. my goodness! Yeah, it's terrible. But did you see? And it, what's funny is I caught it the first time through. Did you catch the yes connection to the love story thing? I mean, it's a, it's more it was, obvious than some of the other things in yeah. the film. But uh, the first time through, when I saw that was the situation, and then when he you mean the discovers right? the tapestry, yeah. yeah, and then he discovers what's in his drink. I was like, yeah. oh man, man, this ain't going well. This no. ain't that. No, 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 no. There's two things you don't do. You don't drink the tea. Just don't, don't no. drink anything they give you. And don't agree to go to a ceremony. It's not going to end well. No, no, just no, no, it won't. Just turn around and walk out. Somebody. Yeah. You're like, uh-uh. um, you're like, I'm going to stay here and watch Austin Powers with the rest of the kids. So right, the kids. Le- le- <laughs> Although the kids are pretty in on it, too. I mean, yeah, they're that, all, kid yeah. Almost, that kid almost got thrown in the lake in that director's cut at, yes. at his oh, scene. Yeah. Um, so let's jump on the That Ain't Right train and just mm. go full steam ahead. Now, my little list here is starts with one. Y'all, is there, yeah. is there anything sexier than a janky-toothed, naked old lady pushing on your butt during <laughs> sex with a 15-year-old whose pubes you ate? No. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> that is- so, so, listeners, so... So listeners, if you can if you'll rewind fifteen seconds, just press the little press the little podcast button and rewind fifteen seconds. Listen listen back to the scene that Nathan just described. If you if you want to know whether or not you might be interested in this film Answer, ponder, answer that ponder question. that description. Ponder that description that Nathan just gave you because yeah, that's that's where this that's where this film's going. <laughs> oh is. my gosh. Your boy Christian just needed some help. Um uh, uh, that ain't right. Uh, you know. So that ain't right. That's number one. Number two is of that ain't right train, you know, choo choo is running around butt naked and then seeing your dead friend's exposed foot where he was buried, but they didn't even have the decency to fully bury him. No, that ain't no, right. Just being, <laughs> that ain't, no, dude, that that ain't like, right. So I'm gonna be a little jokey here, but I'm but I'm kind of being serious about the observation. I I I think there's a degree into which he has been planted that that has been like interesting. It's yeah, been yeah. Ex- that it's been exposed as like being planted for some sort of like as as that part of him rots away that it will sort of in its way nourish the soil. Like that's the impression I got from that Ooh. from that moment because it's it's a it's in the garden. It's not just like off, right, right. You know, like it's there in the garden. I'm like, man, that 
or they it's, planted that sucker. Or like, it's like a meant to be like a footstool. <laughs> almost. Oh, look! I got a seat. <laughs> like, like I can. I'm gonna sit here. I'm reading butt naked. I am butt naked and just was traumatized uh-huh. by a bunch of naked old ladies. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pop I'm a squat. Gonna take a load off on I'm gonna... <laughs> footstool. <laughs> Wait a minute! I recognize That's... that foot. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> last but not least. Is when you I know. S- no, that's Josh is the foot. Josh is the one who oh, gets wait. planted. Yeah, but yes. That was Simon. Josh. That's third yeah, on the list. Simon. Is stumbling on that British dude who's been mutilated and strung upside down, and then some creepy old dude blowing drugs in your face. That ain't right. Yeah, but man, the lungs are still working. That, that fool's lungs right. are still moving. Like, that's, that's what I was gonna bring up. Also, I didn't. I didn't catch yeah, go that ahead. the first two times <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> yeah, so he was alive. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see. That's that's the thing is, I got the impression that there is a degree to which he is still alive because his lungs continue to function. I'm y'all like, want to y'all want to hear about it? Y- yes. yes. So, uh, <laughs> yes. according to the IMDb trivia section, Simon's fate is based on a Viking ritualized execution method called Blood Eagle. In cool. which victims were placed in a prone position, their ribs, you'll love it, their ribs severed so from the excited. spine with a sharp tool, and their lungs pulled through the opening to create a pair of wings. The huh. victim would supposedly still be alive. That ain't that ain't right. right. That, that ain't is right. So, that is so terrible. That is so terrible. And he doesn't even get I don't know how long he's there. He doesn't even get the benefit of going to the 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 barn fire <laughs> no, no. at the end. Like he's Yeah, he is. He's just yes, there. He is. yes he is. Is he in it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He and he and Josh he are in the back of the room. They they're just chilling back there. Cuz you can see Josh, it. I thought yes. that was I thought that was Mark and Josh. Oh, it Mark is Mark. Is, Mark is the fool. I, Mark has got the jester hat on. Josh yeah. has his mouth stuffed with something in the back, and he's sitting across already. He, Josh and Simon are already in there because you can see Simon's flower petal, flower eyes. He and Josh are in the oh, back. Simon gets okay. wheeled in in the wheelbarrow. Connie gets brought in, and she's all bloated and nasty. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 man. Is I guess that yeah no I guess that would make sense because they've they've selected four from their own commune, they've selected four new blood and then the May Queen had the privilege of selecting whether the ninth would be, you know Christian or if it would be someone from their from their commune. So I guess yeah I guess that makes sense. But I I I hadn't noticed that before. I I thought literally that he's just up there indefinitely. Where I'm just like oh my god that's. That's no. obscene. No, they, 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 terrible. They showed him some mercy. If that, if that's what you want to call it, <laughs> mercy is for the weak. Um, my very last <laughs> thing is the way the food on the table at the May Queen celebration is undulating. Did you catch that? Yeah, yes, that is so nasty. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's so nasty. Well, because what's awful, what's awful Tell is me. it's undulating, but the rest of the visuals are not. Right. Like it's one thing. It's one thing if you could kind of if if everything about the image was pulsing, then you could kind of say like, well, this is the visual of the drug-addled Christian seeing, you know, like, or this is the visual of, you know, this the the hypnotic state in which everything is. But no, 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 everything else is still as can be, and that turkey on the on the center is just like 
like massaging, like something is, yeah, yeah okay. is so just. You guys saw that me. too. I thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> oh, you drank the tea, <laughs> Meredith. You drank she's, the tea. She, well, she's I thought like, that was part of the director's cut. Like, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> she's like, honey, this sleepy time tea is expired. Oh my goodness, <laughs> something has gone wrong. That's like the oh uh, special edition. You know, it comes with a bag of mushroom tea. You know, and you <laughs> you make it and then you oh drink gosh. it before you watch the film, and it's a no, whole no. different cut. It is. It, <laughs> it's a whole different film. It's the 4D cut. Yeah, yeah. That that upside down camera shot you were talking about earlier. It's all right side up. Until it's not. Right. Oh, ooh. Oh. Woo wee. So somebody, yeah, somebody. Meredith, did you have anything else for the for the scares uh, mm. measurement or anything else to fear stuff mentioning? I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's all pretty it's all pretty awful. I yeah. I texted I texted <laughs> Nathan though. So so here's here's what's funny. I texted Nathan when I was I intended because listen y'all like I. This film is long, and so I was like, I've seen it before. It's pretty conceivable that I might watch this director's cut in two segments. Um, but I, I was so captivated by it, I just got lost in it. And I watched it all in one sitting. It's like a and like I, an old lady putting her hands on your butt. She just pushed you further into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that that would not. I my experience was in contrast to that. That was not. <laughs> That was not quite, as I was sitting there, I mean, I'm never going to view my couch the same way again. Thank you, Mr. Rouse. But as I was sitting there, I was like, uh, so. Oh, my God. No. See, I'm going to just trust. That look on his face is so great. I'm just, <laughs> he's like, what is going on? Um, so, no, cold. but I was, oh, no, no. Don't make me bring back the chef. I will bring back the no. chef. Um, so, no, oh. but sincerely, like, I got I got so captivated oh, by the whole film, and I texted Nathan after I was done with my viewing of it, and I said, I do not know if it is just that I'm demented or what, but I, I love this movie. I can't even quite picture why and what is so bizarre about it to me is one of the things I love about it are are are, are you both okay if we pivot into some kind of thematic some deeper waters some thematic ideas let's do it yeah um what I find so compelling and captivating about it boy I will I will mention this as a as a sort of comparison to hereditary Boy, Ari Aster in two films loves to take like a devastated character, and by the end of the film, they have li- he has literally exalted them. Like, uh, uh, is her name Charlie from Hereditary, the uh, uh, yes. the young girl, and and she's you know just defiled and and decapitated, and by the end of the film, she is the return of payment. Like she is the heralded one with a crown upon her head. Here you got Danny devastated by that super dark opening 30 minutes and she's just in dire straits the entire film and by the end she is the exalted may queen um but one of the things that i found really compelling both viewings through is i noticed it but didn't understand it when old the the old man pogo's off the off the cliff <laughs> and then they're all writhing with him they're oh, yeah. screaming with him. Yeah, yeah. And they're and 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 what was interesting is it it pinged me the first time I watched it, but I didn't understand it. And then as they as it progresses through, then they do it 
again when she, when Danny is has caught. I mean, it, it, it was a it was a coercive sexual encounter that Christian had, but Danny has seen it. She's witnessed it, and she's in agony because of what she's seen. And as they are collectively in agony with her, like their breathing matches hers, and they mirror her suffering. And then, uh, as in the end, in the you know when because uh, listeners, if you have no intention of watching this film, the film builds to something we've alluded to already, where basically this nine-day festival celebration that this commune is participating in culminates in the uh, burning sacrifice in a big wooden building, there a, a temple of sorts they call it, and and this temple is populated with uh, four of our uh, main character or three of our main characters, our sort of visitors, and the other two guests that were there and some members of the commune, they're all burned, some of them alive, some of them, their bodies are just burned. Um, but the people are outside, and as the screams begin to rise from the temple of the people who are being burned alive, the screams rise up, and the people out witnessing it are screaming with them and arriving with them. And it really compelled me this way in which this community th- this is this is what I thought I haven't got it written down so forgive me if this articulation is clunky but the ways in which these people have chosen to share pain is really really fascinating to me now don't get me wrong well I mean I, I, am I actually not, don't mean this to be jokey but it's not just pain they share I mean it's kind of just general expression right or, or emotional emotional yes yes uh, grief, suffering, like what, whatever that, uh, whatever that is being exhibited, they collectively embrace it and and carry it together. Now, I don't want to, uh, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, boy, what a great idea, what a great commune. You know, like I'm not, I'm not like, oh, these these guys have figured out true community living. But I I found it very very compelling, and one of the things that I took away from the film. So here Danny is just sort of lost in the weeds of all of the relationships which she's surrounded by. She's clearly got some tension with her sister, who is bipolar and and ultimately at the top of the film uh, kills herself. But then she's in this completely toxic relationship with Christian. And the scene that I did document a bit of is when Pele is sitting next to her, talks about how he was an orphan and that he was adopted by this commune. And then he says to her, he says, I have always felt held. And that is something that really stood out to me. He said, uh, you know, and, and describes like he's been, he's been held by a real family, like a real true family. And he says, this is something that everybody deserves. And then he asks her very pointedly, does Christian feel like home to you? Do you feel held by him? Now, uh, could position in fear, but it's it's also something that I'm stretching at towards a bit of a thematic conversation. Is the 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 toxic relationships and the and the toxic ways that we navigate those relationships? Uh, Meredith, I heard you use, use the word codependent, leaves us so desperately vulnerable for anybody to swoop in and hold us and to come in and sort of offer us 
uh, sympathy, offer us uh, companionship, offer us uh, basically a sharing of feelings and a sharing of uh, just just everything that we are going through, everything that we're suffering, everything that we're burdened by, and they offer to carry it and they offer to hold us in it. Um, what is truly nightmarish is that when that happens, Danny spends this entire film ready to leave. She's desperate to get out of this place and is unable to get out of this place until by the end, uh, I think it is pretty safe to say she will never leave. She will be here now forever and actively embrace it. Not that she's like trapped. She's now sort of uh, drunk the tea and she is uh, in. And I was fascinated by the ways in which our own sort of vulnerability in, uh, you can call it a toxic relationship or you can call it a codependent relationship, but our own sort of toxic navigation uh, leaves us vulnerable to really anybody. It's something, before I shut up and pivot over to your uh, your responses or thoughts or whatever you had thematically to bring to the table, um, it's something that we had discussed in brief about the film Let Me In, uh, the remake of Let the Right One In, which Let the Right One In was a Swedish film. That's fascinating. It's just kind of moment. Um, but so uh, what's fascinating is we discussed in Let Me In how, you know, if if we do not offer, if we uh, believers, friends, uh, you know, just loved ones do not offer protection, comfort, security, love, affection, companionship, then something else will step in to fill that void. And that something else may bring with it uh, some dark, more horrific things uh, that we will openly and actively embrace simply because they're the ones who are willing to scream with us or cry with us or hold us. Um, and I found that uh, tremendously fascinating. I don't know if that feels completely far afield of what you guys got from the film or uh, if that resonates at all, but that was that was one of my big takeaways. I wrote down that same scene when he was saying he has always felt held. I felt like that was a big takeaway also. I don't know about you guys, but something that was super uncomfortable for me was in the beginning is just how Danny grieves, just mm. her way of mm. crying. It was so uncomfortable for me to hear in yeah, the beginning. Per- yeah. Performance wise, Florence Pugh just nails that. Because, yeah. Yes, it was, you are totally yeah. discomfited by that. I, in fact, in the second time, the second time that I watched it, I had to turn it down because there yeah. it, it struck something inside me. And then, and I actually found myself, my mood changing, like I was in a bad mood. And then, Mm. but at the end, when her grief was just as terrible, and she had that group of women around her doing it with her, it didn't bother me. Hmm. So I was like, well, she has these people, she has this group, and they're grieving together, and it's not going to last. So. Wow. I don't know, for me, even seeing her with this community made me feel better. But in the beginning, when she was grieving on her own in that way, it was really disturbing for me. But it's interesting, you know, the the word codependence has come up multiple times, but I think about, so the cult, the commune, cements Danny in her codependency. And what I mean by that is mm-hmm. she is crowned May, May Queen, and then she is empowered with agency, although that agency comes with a high cost right. of choosing yeah. Christian or someone else. But in gifting her that choice, they 
solidify her enthrallment to them. Mm-hmm. And mm. it's interesting, Reed, you were dancing around this notion like a like a May Queen at a Maypole. Um <laughs> and I think it's illustrated too in that opening scene. Like I think a lot about the word interdependence and how easy it can be without without properly knowing how to handle our grief and our sorrow to be taken in and how mm. how what seems because it's interesting this 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 group this cult this commune whatever as her as horrifying as the plunge from above is there's a moment when the older female elder is explaining this ritual that you're like uh, I kind of get what she's saying. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. um, it's a great yeah. joy for them as it will be for me. We view life as a cycle, a circle, instead of getting old in fear and shame. And, and, but of course, by the end of the film, I think we are meant to be truly kind of horrified by the rituals this group indulges. And I think what I'm trying to sort of scratch at here that was inspired by both of you is in proper faithful sort of living it's as much alone as it is together Mm. and there's almost there's there's almost and 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 i would say the marriage of those two ideas is interdependence it's the ability to to exercise agency to also lean on community but to in your interdependency be able to recognize toxic expression in the community right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's what's really fascinating about this film is because you know if you if you take the specificity of what happens in this film out of it in other words ignore the sweden of it ignore the sort of otherworldliness of these folks and just examine the text which is a woman in grief who has not properly dealt with it who who knows how long was dealing with her sister who kept her anxious and fraught with trauma, right? By dealing with her sister so much meets a group that in Pele's sort of luring presents as home and being held while all the while ensnaring her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I, I, we can get as explicit as we want to here, but that plays out with startling routine in normal life, not in mm-hmm. heightened, crazy midsummer movie life. You know, yeah, we 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 on a certain scale are watching it play out writ large. But but even just think about the stories. I mean, Reed, I know you grew up in a very specific brand of church. Meredith, I know you've cut your teeth on a very specific brand of church life. Like the stories I know the two of you could tell of people you've observed, or even maybe you yourself got close to at some point that was a bear trap, Mm -hmm. Mm, you mm, know? Yeah. And it, it just takes, it takes a level of it's, it's really interesting. I'm just kind of following some thoughts here, but sure. It takes a level of self-awareness and of, maybe spiritual awareness also because i think 
at least for me, I think there was very much implicit in my church-going upbringing of enmeshedness and the group matters more than the individual. And those things can sound like faithfulness from a certain point of view, but are also a very potent recipe for toxicity and destruction, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. that's making any sense. No, it does. Well, go ahead, Meredith. I was just going to just say that, that it, am I saying his name right? Pele or is it Pele? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Pele? Sure. I, it, yeah, it's either Pele, Pele. Pele, I'm not quite sure. Pele. Um, I felt like, yeah, he was talking about a family and being held by a family, but what it was was manipulation and that's not love and that's not a family. But at the same time, I feel like he was probably just manipulated to believe that it is. So it's just kind of like a a cycle like Hmm. of manipulation. Like that's how he was brought up. And so he's bringing her into it and, but it's not a family. It's being manipulated. Well, and I think that's uh, so, man, there's so many things uh, bouncing around in my head because of what you're describing right now. But I think that's one thing that I have always been bothered by the general logic of and I'm going to apply this logic very broadly. It could touch on a number of different subjects, but the ways in which we will allow and I think culturally speaking, this is far more prevalent. Uh, then I, th- I think it's much more a part of the conversation than it ever has been before. Maybe the attitude itself is not much more prevalent, but it's much more part of the conversation of this feels right, therefore it must be right. Mm-hmm. And I fe- I've always been very skeptical of that version of like path forward. Uh, 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 Rich Mullins came up in, in uh, last week's uh, conversation and... Uh, and he has a song that uh, is a very silly title. I did not expect it. Man, I haven't even listened to Rich Mullins recently, but he's coming up so much in these conversations recently. Maybe I should just pull open his albums and listen to them again. But he has a song called The Maker of Noses. And The Maker of Noses is a very silly title, but it's got some pretty profound thoughts in it. The chorus said, um, uh, they said, boy, you just follow your heart, but my heart just led me inside my chest. And they said, follow your nose, but the direction changed every time I went and turned my head. And he said, they said, follow your dreams, but my dreams are only misty notions. But the father of hearts and the maker of noses and the giver of dreams, he's the one I've chosen and I will follow him. And the reason that that's coming to mind in light of our conversations about the ways that we've been manipulated is I do think we find more and more ways and i see it on i see it in virtually every social circle where people will just do there should be olympic medals given for self justification for the things that they have absorbed embraced um and the things that they have said like this is right this is good and they'll hoist it up to the top as saying like this is the only way this is right this is good and they will usually justify it by some means of felt experience or shared experience um, rather than pursuing uh, a sense of 
critical thinking or a sense of uh, you know challenge within community, um, uh, listening and speaking to people who are distinctly sort of other than you. Um, which is always a great exercise in sort of keeping your own heart at bay and uh, keeping some objective perspective on things. Um, but the ways in which this commune has, like she was manipulated left and right by Christian and allowed herself to be, but then the ways in which you you mentioned earlier, Nathan, about how you hear that elder's justification for Atastupia and where she's like, you know, we we don't let our old decay and suffer in pain they give their life as a gesture they intentionally just give their life and in the moment in the film that gum if it doesn't make a little bit of sense like you said like like in the moment the way it's expressed it's like but then you realize like oh they're talking about this other thing like they're talking about this this dramatically sort of uh it's very specific and i'll even go so far as to say like it's 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 pretty horrifying. And the ways in which they have convinced themselves not only that this is a good thing to do, but that this is the right thing to do. Sure. And 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 we ourselves... So you said something earlier, Nathan, that, that I want to hone in on here possibly as my final few thoughts on, on Midsommar. I was really captivated, Nathan, by what you said about is, is a faithful life as much being alone as it is being part of the community. Um, and Nathan, you and I off-pod, uh, Meredith, I'll try to contextualize this a lot for you, so if you have any thoughts, you can push back on this. Um, Nathan, you and I have talked off-pod a lot about the times at which you are kind of called to stand solitary, like the times at which you are, uh, because this side over here is saying one thing you can't agree with, and this side over here is saying another thing that you can't agree with. And it takes a tremendous amount of strength or stamina to actively and wholly stand alone. Like, that takes a significant amount of courage, and it takes strength. Countless people around the world right now feel alone, and they feel lost, and they feel without community. But to actively stand there in this sort of like no this is because she's she's torn and basically bounced from one side to the other when in truth i view as an as an outside observer that the path forward for her would have been not back with christian and not necessarily with this commune oh yeah (laughs) totally yeah that the path for her is not in either of those two places but that would require a solitary strength that she does not have the support system either inside herself or outside from anybody else telling her to be able to to achieve that. So she's simply bounced from one side to the other. And um, and I find in these days, it is so... Nathan, you and I, have, uh, again, have, have said this in so many different ways, how it would be so easy, so easy to just embrace the narrative of this side or that side. Mm. You can say I'm talking about politics. You can say I'm talking about social structures. You can say I'm talking about religion, whatever. It would be so easy to just embrace the narrative from that side and just follow that path that I am, I am, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dance in the realm of politics for a sec. Like, oh, I'm just a, a wholehearted liberal and I'm just all the way over to the left and that's just what it is. I'm just a wholehearted conservative and I'm all the way over to the right and that's just what it is. But the, it is a painful place to stand in the midst of that and to try 
to be both a a reconciler, a peacemaker, um, a whole individual who does not divorce themselves from one school of thought for the sake of another school of thought, but rather is pursuing what we would in faithful structures call this this mystical third way, this this path that is unique and whole in and of itself. That takes tremendous strength. It takes tremendous courage. And um, and it is hard. It is difficult. It might be a version of which here that I'm 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 not presuming this is a definitive can be a definitive statement, but it might be a version of which when Jesus spoke about that the road that leads to destruction was broad, and the road that led to life was narrow. Um, that like hey, this is a bit of a tightrope that sure you are required to walk here because. There is destruction on this path, and there is destruction on this other path. For Danny, there is destruction in her relationship with Christian. She is not a whole person in her relationship with Christian. She is broken. She is, um, I would dare say, to a small degree at least, maybe to a large degree, abused by her relationship with Christian. And then the answer, the antidote, is not, well, let me just go over to this commune where... Even if you like some of what they give you in terms of the community aspect, they lure people to their death. Yeah. <laughs> like they have manipulated people to come from across the country where they will kill them and those people will forever be missing persons to the world at large. But, and I'm like, sorry to, to, yeah. to butt in here. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. But it can't, this just, just, just screamed at me. Danny doesn't start with acceptance of the death of her peers. We never in group think begin at the worst possible position. That is a steady erosion of our own value systems of our own better judgment. And I do think there's something really fascinating at work here. That tension, however, unintentionally I developed that notion, that tension between aloneness and togetherness and that, and even read just a minute ago when you were talking about peacemaking and stuff, I do think we're explicitly called to be peacemakers, but as I would sort of articulate what at least I'm trying to express in aloneness, sometimes the mere act of being standing alone is the point and will itself mm-hmm. yield mm-hmm. a potentially prophetic call to peacemaking, not because you're actively trying to be a peacemaker. Does that make sense at all? Like, like yeah, just no, I understand. Just yeah, the no. retreat from the 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 synchronous voices wailing as you wail sometimes requires you to just remove yourself and right. recognize this right. is codependency, this is manipulation, this is wickedness, this is murder in the story of the film. Right. But right. But you know, this is one of the reasons I grow in my estimation of Ari Aster each film is like, and and why I enjoy these conversations so much is because none of this is not there and all of it was subconscious, but just the ability to talk through and recognize like as heightened and as fantastical and as melodramad as this film is. It's also, right. it's also a very clear cautionary tale to I don't love this phrase, this word, but groupthink to to uncritical fellowship, if you will. Like, yeah, you know, like like to me, faithful living is being present and being apart, being present and being apart, and it's mm-hmm. living in that tension. 
you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. Meredith, Meredith, what you uh, uh, want to? We're kind of winding down now, but I want to give you an opportunity to sort of express either responses to what we're saying, or or even you know bring up some things that we haven't talked about yet. I'm just kind of soaking it in. <laughs> Everything you're saying, I'm just agreeing. So I don't have anything yeah. huge that to add to tea? it. It, you know, <laughs> it just puts me in a good place. <laughs> the the meal is just undulating. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just enjoying the food. Yeah. Meat, meat pies for everybody. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, Reed, well, um, yeah, yeah. Reed, do you want to go to the fog meter? Are there any other sort of? Yeah, let's. No, no, no. Let's go. If 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 everybody's good, let's uh, let's go ahead and and take it over to the fog meter. Our very specific metric of fear and God. Uh, we're gonna go round table here. I'll start. Um, fear measurement on Midsummer. I think when it is horrific, it is in it is terribly intense. But unlike Hereditary, I don't find this film oppressive. It is not um, the type of film that just hangs over you like a cloud. Part of that is because its um, aesthetic is bright to begin with, but the horror is of a different variety. Um, still, I think that the the horror that is there is pretty intense, so on my fear measurement, I'm going to give it an 8. All right. Um, Meredith, you go. Nathan, what about for you? Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Nathan, you go ahead and go. Okay. Um it's funny. I thought you were. I thought you were building up to hedge, and you ended up going eight. So, um, you know, I think like the commune, this film lures you in and makes you feel kind of comfortable with its brightness and its colors, mm. while you don't realize the the trap is tightening around your feet. Um, sure. So. I, Eight is a little strong for me. I do think it's not far off, so I, I think I'm going to go with a seven um, just because it doesn't operate in a real traditional rhythm of horror, uh, but still right, right. The, the the horrific elements are so grotesque and so potent when they happen uh, that it mm, definitely earns mm. a, a little higher rating there. Certainly. What about for you, Meredith? What's your fear measurement on this one? I think I would go a little higher also, probably about seven or eight, because I think that it's the illusion of safety hmm. is so scary to me. Like the whole place, like you said, the um, it was constantly light outside. It's um, Everybody was in their white clothes and dancing and happy and on drugs and... <laughs> It's like mm -hmm. just an illusion of happiness and knowing that it was just one of the most unsafe places you can be. Um, I think that that's super scary. So I, I might say an eight also. Okay. Uh, and Meredith, while we're here, what would you give it for the God measurement, the somewhat substantive elements of the film? Mm, well, you guys go and let me get my thoughts. <laughs> okay, no problem. So Nathan, I'll pivot over to you. What do you what do you give it for the God meter? You know, I think Astor's craft and intentionality and artisanship is so high, and his thoughtfulness. Um, I think it's why hearing it described initially as a breakup film after the first time I saw it was through me so much. I was like, certainly, it's more than that, and. I do think that's just kind of the foundation stone for what is a really fascinating engagement with 
with sure. codependency. And so I think, I think in terms of just substance and what it's kind of after, even though I don't know that it really resolves it intentionally. So um, I, I think I'll stick with a seven on the substance meter. Okay. Uh, giving Meredith a few more moments or a few more seconds, at least uh, I'm, it's hard not to, I mean, it's the same filmmaker. It's hard not to try to contrast my substance meter of this versus hereditary, which is a bit unfair, um, but still it's the same voice. So it's difficult not to compare it. Um, I don't think there is as much going on in Midsommar as there was in hereditary. So based exclusively on that comparison point, which I'll admit is a bit unfair, I'm going to give this uh, also an eight for the substance, the God meter, if you will. It's so funny. Both times I thought you were about to prep for a lower number than you gave. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that is a very solid number. Four. Right. I just, you know, I'm just so generous is what you it are. is. Is I just, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, yeah, yeah, I'm a giver. Okay, Meredith, what, what do you think? <laughs> Meredith, right. what about your um, substance factor? Um, I'm just trying to get my thoughts together. I think... Um, what I was having a hard time putting into words is maybe there isn't as much as I'm pulling from, but I would probably give it a seven or an eight also because I feel like I could pull so much out of it because sure. of how much I could relate to Danny in a lot of ways. And I could see, I mean, even from, from like the first time she took that mushroom tea or whatever and she felt like everyone was laughing at her or she felt like a burden or she felt devalued mm. or whatever right i, I right. felt like there was so much substance in that and so much um underneath all that for her and then um throughout the rest of the movie just how her kind of her arc and her journey personally i could see a lot but I don't know if that's actually there, but for well, me, I'd I say, mean, yeah. I'd say an eight. Okay. Well, and to your point, I think one of the, it's interesting, this movie in a lot of ways feels very straightforward, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, the yeah. lead female character, you just, you actor person wander around this uh, uh, field and act shocked at what's going on around you. And yet from a performance standpoint, this really stood out to me specifically in one moment, although it's represented and more than just this one, but there's a moment where in frame is Christian on the left. And I don't think it's Pele, but it is one of the residents on the right and they're in profile talking to each other. And, and Danny is between them. And I think Danny has just expressed concern over something. I can't recall exactly what, cause there's so much to be concerned over. And Christian gives it a passing acknowledgement. And then I think specifically this is where he's asking about incest um, oh, to the yeah. other person. Uh, and the right, camera right. is just closing in on Florence Pugh's face. And, yeah. and you can read so much incredulity at what she's experiencing. Like, this isn't yeah. right. I'm not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be taking right. this and me more seriously. I don't exactly know how to get you to see or hear me, but this is all terribly and wrong, terrible and wrong. Yes. And it's just, mm -hmm. yes. it's a long take that closes in towards her face of just all of that being conveyed. And it's just, you know, to, to your point, Meredith, I mean, she just, she says 
kind of all of them do, but her specifically is the real standout. She says so much without verbalizing a whole lot the, throughout much of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really, it's really impressive. There's a lot going on in that character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that means that we officially give Midsommar, directed by Ari Aster, a seven and a half on the fog meter, which is certainly a substantive right. showing. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but the perhaps uh, more important and, <laughs> and probably more difficult question, uh, Meredith, I'm going to come to you first. Would you recommend Midsommar for people to watch? Um, it depends on the person. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I totally would. I think it's a great movie. <laughs> I like that pivot. You went from depends on who it is. You know what? Screw it. Doesn't matter who it is. Watch Screw it. it. People, <laughs> people expect certain things from you. At just this point. so you just like yeah. You just you just helped them out. You put your hands behind them. That's say, right. I pushed uh, them. <laughs> so right on into it. Your, <laughs> your your insistence upon continuing this visual is somewhat alarming. <laughs> it's uh, that's. This is That's in my ranking of uh, Nathan's repeated gags. This is a uh, this is pretty low. Uh, this is this is low on the. I guess the it depends point. on what you're weighing it against and and on. Like from a funny standpoint, it's quite hysterical. Um, <laughs> I'll answer the question that wasn't asked of me as far as recommendation, um, and that is, you know, I, I find this film mesmerizing. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. It's yeah. it's interesting. It's like you could you could pause the film and just study the frame, right? Of of all the little nooks yes. and crannies that are going yes. on. It's so hyper realized from a production value standpoint. There's a lot in it that could be a real turnoff, but I think in general we have smart, savvy listeners who can who are mature, unlike yours truly, and can appreciate <laughs> you know kind of the artistic nature of it all, and you know. I don't I I don't think a casual movie person is going to enjoy this film much at all. But in terms of yeah. our our yeah. our people, um I I think there's a lot to recommend here. Yeah, I I'm kind of with what with where you both are saying. It's it's a captivating, fascinating and mesmerizing film. I would say with the only qualifier that you should be at least able to if not comfortable with handling mature content in terms of uh, violence and, and sexuality. And if you can handle those elements, uh, this is an easy film to recommend. If those elements uh, somewhat unsettle you, then this might not be the film for you. But that's the sort of frame of my recommendation. And that uh, good call. That puts, uh, that puts Midsommar in the books for us. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Meredith, thank you so, so much for finally. joining us once again. I know, Our finally. official literary... <laughs> Our literary correspondent, um, Nathan, as always, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Of um, course. And uh, listeners, uh, so a couple of things. First of all, uh, we are going to be winding down this little mini-series of our best, the your favorite films of 2019, favorite horror films of 2019. Next week, we are going to be looking at Ready or Not, uh, which is yes. dramatically different from Midsommar. It's a wonderful film. Uh, skipping to at least my recommendation, you definitely should see it. It's a fantastic, fun, wonderful, surprising film. Uh, so seek out, if you have not seen it, ready or not, um, we will be here next week, and I will just leave you with two thoughts, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation, and it is, uh, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. All right. Amen. Thanks, see everybody. See you next week, everybody. Thank, Thank you, guys. Meredith. Thank you, Reed. Thanks. See you next time, guys. All right. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye. Bye. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!